Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and overcoming discrimination. And our guest is Sue Salthouse, a paraplegic who has been working in the area of social justice and human rights for over 20 years and was named the 2020 ACT Senior Australian of the Year. In this episode, we'll hear how a horse riding accident at the age of 45 saw Sue's life change dramatically and how she quickly discovered the inequality facing people with disabilities here in Australia. Sue Salthouse, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Thank you very much. It's really good to be here. So, Sue, as Pete mentioned, uh, 25 years ago, you had an accident that changed your life. Uh, Can you describe what happened? Well, I don't really dwell on it that much, but it was a simple horse riding accident on a trail ride. And what it says to me is that um, acquiring a disability is just a split second away. And uh, certainly that was my experience, that... Uh, one moment you're um, a non-disabled person and then the next moment you are. So there are a lot of us in the disability sector who have arrived by accident. But of course, um, there's an even greater number of people in the disability sector who were born with their disabilities. And uh, so we make up the patchwork of the whole of the disability community. Now, Sue, the accident left you in a wheelchair and you started viewing life completely different from a different perspective, basically. What did you discover looking at it from a a person using a wheelchair's perspective? Um, Well, I discovered, first of all, that when I greet people, I'm at the height of their navels. (laughs) And uh, this, this certainly gives you a different perspective on life from being a tall person to suddenly being quite short. So, yes, it's certainly when you acquire a disability, there are very many physical adjustments to be made and inevitably there are um, mental and emotional adjustments to be made. Um, But with the right supports, it is possible to to then reshape your life in a new environment, uh, and that's, I guess, what I've done. And in many ways, I suppose it's a strange way to put it, but you were lucky in a way in the fact that at the time of your accident, you had a teaching career, an independent means of living, um, but you found that that's not the case for everyone with a disability. I think that's uh, what you do find uh, very much so, is that disadvantage and otherness makes it very difficult for people to compete on the same economic footing. And it's very important for all of us, for our mental well-being, um, to be able to have uh, sufficient funds to, 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 to pay for our activities of daily living and to give us a reasonable quality of life. And I certainly was fortunate in that uh, in that my I was 
was uh, ec- I was economically stable, I guess, when I had my accident. So I I did find very soon that many people in the sector uh, do not have uh, economic security, and that this plays a great part in affecting their mental health. And and yes, so that's that's something you do realise in the disability sector how disadvantaged many many of us are. And what do you put that down to, Sue? Well. I put it down to uh, that it's really hard to get a job. And for many of us, even though we're super qualified, that employers haven't yet understood how to make reasonable adjustments and how to uh, to encompass our diversity in their workforces. So we, we still find it very difficult for people with disabilities to get into the workforce. And then, of course, there are other constraints. Is sometimes because of our disabilities, we can't work the hours or at the pace that non-disabled people do. But I think that um, it's really important when we can't get the jobs that there's some sort of welfare supplement that enables us still to be able to live reasonable lives. And I really don't um, like the term of a welfare supplement because... We in the disability sector sector, uh, would like to be in the workforce, would like to be taxpaying contributors to Australian society. And so the disability support pension or other payments are really just to try and even the playing field so that we can uh, live lives which are valuable and valued. Absolutely. And in terms of the barriers that, that you face, um, obviously, as you said, the employer is not understanding that we might need to work different hours and whatnot. What sort of access barriers do people encounter? Well, certainly for someone in a wheelchair, I think we all, everybody understands that um, wheelchairs don't easily do steps. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we can't, <laughs> unless we're super fit, uh, we can't pull ourselves up through doorways And so, yes, so for people in wheelchairs and uh, with mobility impairment, then we do need an environment um, which is barrier-free with no steps and and decent ramps, etc. But for every sort of disability, for every every, um, way in which our impairment manifests itself, we do need adjustments that enable us to to participate equitably. So we certainly need um, things in, in screen reader format that someone who, who is blind can use. We need things in easy English for someone with cognitive impairment. Uh, we need to have far more, um, far more teaching of Auslan in schools and far more ability of the general population to say a few words in Auslan and we certainly need um, Auslan interpreters in schools and in universities and in workplaces. So there are all those things where we can, where we can minimise the barriers to participation. And honestly, these days with assistive technologies, that is becoming easier and easier. And it should be that employers in particular can address those adjustments that need to be made. 
And then we find in workplaces where there is a diversity in the workplace, in the workforce itself, that we get much better outcomes. And so diversity in workforces is really something that it would be beneficial to aim for. Now, Sue, do you find that uh, disabled women are discriminated against more than the men? In Australian society, I think we need to recognise that uh, we are a gender imbalanced society. And so there, when there's gender, gendered inequities, that means that women um, find it more difficult to get into the workforce, to get equal pay, those sorts of things. And then when you add into it um, the barriers to someone with disability, you get an ex- escalating of that um, of that discrimination, if you like, that means that it's, it's much harder for women with disabilities to get into the workforce um, than it is for men with disabilities. So that immediately means that there is uh, an income disparity and that economically we're usually not as well off as men with disabilities. But um, I think that that's a reflection of the general Australian Um, situation in employment and we find with women with disabilities that we are also carers and in it's quite a surprise was quite a surprise to me to find that 37% of all primary carers are people with disabilities so they're the people who are doing the main amount of caring for say the older generation or children, children both with and without disabilities, or perhaps a partner with disabilities. Many people with disabilities are also coping with their own disability and also being the primary carer for somebody else who needs support in some ways. And I think it's really important for us to realise that that people with disabilities make up the whole complexity of our society and and that we are contributors in keeping families together as well. For sure. And I mean, on that, you hold a number of positions um, on boards, including the Chair of Women with Disability ACT, um, advocating for change and whatnot. How, how do you hope to achieve um, these changes? How do you hope to, to change the way in which society um, uh sort of relates to to disability women and and so on? Well, I think that um, it's very important for all people with disabilities to be uh, both part of the legislature, to have input to policy and programs that come out of government because we really need uh, disability impact statements to to be part of policy analysis. And then from my point of view, I want... Um, a gender impact statement about policy so that we can see that there's no unintended consequences of policies that are made. So for women with disabilities, we hope to always be that seat at the table that reminds um, organisations and government that we need to scrutinise our policies and programs and activities to make sure that we're not excluding anybody disproportionately. So that's really the role of women with disabilities and as as an organisation, Women with Disabilities ACT. 
And we're part of a, of a national and international movement that has recognised that women with disabilities are disproportionately worse off than their male counterparts and, and disproportionately worse off than non-disabled women. And look, that's, um, that's not something that we've made up in Australia. It's something that the United Nations recognised. And when you look at the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, we can see that there's a specific article that deals with the discrimination felt um, by women with disabilities. So when the United Nations and all the people from all corners of the earth that, that wrote that convention, when they recognised that women are disproportionately locked out of many of the services that the world offers, then um, you can see that there's still a need for proactive organisations that, that look for a little bit of positive discrimination that will, that will make it more of a level playing field. Now, you're talking about the UN Convention on Rights for Persons with Disabilities. That goes back to 2008. What actually brought that about in 2008? Why didn't it happen in 1998 or 1988? Why did it take so long? And then also just on that, what changes did we see since 2008? So, so human rights, uh, I guess there's been a focus on human rights and we've had this United Nations body um, since, the, since the Second World War and that we gradually... Um, have had a focus on on what the actual basic rights of people have been and that there have been uh, rights that focus on racial discrimination and then again uh, about discrimination against women. And it's just taken some time for, um, for international focus to, to look at the discrimination experienced by people with disabilities. And that's a reflection of how marginalised the disability population has been. But really, the rights movement ran in parallel with the race rights movement. Um, and so people with disabilities have been campaigning for equitable treatment since the late 60s and 70s. And it just took that long, or in fact, in fact, if we if we look at it, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was being written for about a decade. And Australians had a very important part in the writing of that convention. And once you have uh, a human rights convention that is signed by a nation, or they're called then a state's party. Australia ratified that convention and we only did that after looking at our laws and making sure that there were no, no laws in Australia that contravened the convention. And in fact, um, Australia did that and, and we ratified the convention in 2008. And we actually asked for two uh, exemptions in the in the convention, and I won't go into those now. But it meant that there were some parts of the convention that we were not going that we were not going to follow. 
So we we have those exceptions to how how um, we implement the convention. So I guess that one of the things that comes out of the convention is the National Disability Insurance Scheme because that is a way that we are trying to um, level the playing field for people with disabilities. But in fact, and more importantly, is that from the convention, we developed a national disability strategy, which is the overarching strategy which tries to eliminate discrimination and minimise the barriers across Australia. So the NDIS is only a small subset of that national disability strategy. So what we found was that the national disability strategy, although it has had very high-level aims to minimise barriers, and looking at those interfaces between health and education and employment and minimising barriers everywhere, unless these things are funded appropriately, we won't actually make progress. And that's been one of the big shortfalls of the national disability um, that's currently in operation. At the moment, um, we know that the Attorney-General's Department is um, is formulating the next national disability strategy and in consultations they have specifically um, talked to particular disability groups and they've specifically talked to women with disabilities because we need we need the national disability strategy to take gender into account so that when we um, get or work towards more equality that we're making sure that we're not disproportionately locking women with disabilities out. And in terms of that next national disability strategy, um, practically what, what can be done to ensure that um, we don't lock those people out? What, what policies can we put in place to, to ensure that everyone's included in, in Australia going forward? Well, I, I'm not privy to what the actual content of the of the draft is at the moment, but I think, as in everything, that we need we need to make sure that there is adequate um, funding that will enable um, employers or education services to actually um, put in place the supports that are needed for people with disabilities to participate equitably. Now, Sue, we like to wrap up each episode with one question, and that is, what does living a bold life mean to you? So a bold, a bold life, um, to me, means to be getting out in the community and participating to the greatest degree that I am able and that I can um, have a friendship circle that includes both people with disabilities and the non-disabled and that my that I have sufficient funds to be able to buy the assistive technology that I need to be able 
to get around on a daily basis. Sue, thanks so much for joining us today on Grow Bold with this podcast brought to you by Ferris Care. And listeners can find out more about the Sue's amazing work in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Sue, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Sue. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.